You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Dan Simmons is the Hugo Award-winning author of science fiction novels that include Hyperion, Ilium, and Olympos, the Joe Kurtz mystery novels including Hard Case, Hard Freeze, and Hard as Nails, horror novels that include Summer of Night, Children of the Night, and A Winter Haunting, the historical novel The Crook Factory, and suspense novels that include Song of Kali and Darwin's Blade. His most recent book is the historical horror novel titled The Terror. His forthcoming novel looks at the last part of Charles Dickens' life and is titled Drood. Thank you for joining me, Dan. My pleasure, Rick. Dan, tell us a little bit, what drew you to Dickens as a character? Well, sometimes I have the odd habit of uh, deciding to write books about writers or literary characters that I don't care for too much. I did it with... uh, Ernest Hemingway, whom I, I liked his uh, early fiction, but I couldn't stand what I knew about the man, so I decided to spend three years researching him to write a novel about him. <laughs> and I've always had problems with reading Dickens. So I thought perhaps if I spent a couple years researching his life and actually w- weaving it into a fictional tapestry of my own making, that I'd like him a little more, and I do. Well, that, now that's very interesting. Where did you undertake, begin your research? It was actually way back in the 1990s uh, when I hit a stretch of reading several biographies of Dickens, uh, to trying to overcome that dislike that I had. And uh, I think it was the Ackroyd biography that made me think that there are a lot of missing parts to the last five years of Dickens's life. We know that he became unhinged in various ways after a railroad accident in 1865, but all the biographers commented on the fact that his personality changed and his behavior changed, and he kept disappearing into the, the slums and tenements of uh, London at night, what he called the Great Oven, or My Babylon. But they didn't know what he did there, so I'm a novelist, and I, novelists know when they have an opportunity. Well, tell us a little bit about the, the rail accident. What, what was that? Well, he was returning from France. He met secretly there in 1865 on 9 June. He was coming back. He'd met secretly there with the young actress, Ellen Ternan, who may have been his mistress, who was definitely his, the focus of his romantic fantasies. And they were returning secretly with uh, Miss Ternan's mother as sort of a chaperone uh, in the train, the title train from Folkestone to London. And the workers had removed the rails and part of a trestle overlooking a river uh, near the town of Staplehurst and they hadn't put out the warning flags and lanterns far enough for the engineer to see. And the train in those days didn't have one master brake. You'd have to blow whistles. The engineer would, and all the men in each car would blow whistles, and they'd apply brakes to each car. They didn't have time to do that, so the train went hurtling out over the void. And all of the first-class cars, carriages, except the one Dickens and Miss Turnan and her mother were in alone, uh, went crashing down to the valley below and smashed to bits. I don't know the death toll, but it was moderately high for a railway accident in those days, and there were hundreds injured. And so Dickens, uh, the car that he and the Turnans were in, was just dangling over this abyss, literally dangling, holding on by a single couple to a second-class carriage behind it. And he helped them out. They had to climb up and out through a window. And then he went back in for his manuscript. But then he went down to help the dead and dying below. And in my novel, 
that's where he meets a character called Drood, and that affects the last five years of his life very dramatically. Now, um, at this time, he was in the middle of writing Our Mutual Friend. And uh, speaking of friends, I, I guess he was friends with another famous Victorian novelist, uh, William Wilkie Collins. Tell us a little bit about Collins' life. Oh, do I have to. <laughs> I, I spent the last two years in Wilkie Collins' head, and I really want to get out of it. Uh, Wilkie Collins, many people know him, many more people than I would have imagined, know him now and still read his work, The Moonstone, The Woman in White. And he was a close friend to Dickens during a time when Dickens was, how do I put it, shedding himself of his wife. He didn't divorce her, but he did throw her out of the house uh, after 20 years of marriage and 10 children. And so Dickens wanted to be a uh, careless and, and happy bachelor. And so he chose Wilkie Collins as his friend at the time. And Collins was... Uh, quite the bachelor. He had uh, he lived with one woman while having a child with another and never considered marriage. But Wilkie uh, was a sometime collaborator with Dickens as well as a friend. He worked on the various magazines that Dickens created uh, as a writer and editor. But Wil- Wilkie Collins is my narrator. It's always from his point of view. And what made this long novel Drood interesting is that Wilkie is a very serious laudanum addict. He's uh, hooked on uh, laudanum, and then pure opium, and then morphine, a combination of all three. So not all of his perceptions can be trusted. <laughs> I guess not. Now, it, it's really interesting to look at these the, the bibliographies of these of these two writers um, during this time, because this was, he, it, Collins wrote The Woman in White in, in 1860, and he was in the, he finished The Moonstone in 1868, so that's some of his most best-known works. And in between, he wrote a, a pl- co-wrote a play with Charles Dickens, which is something I never knew. Several. In fact, uh, my, my last novel was The Terror about the um, uh, Franklin Expedition of 1845 that disappeared in the Arctic. And the major play that Dickens and Wilkie Collins um, worked on together, although Wilkie did the bulk of the writing, uh, was The Frozen Deep, which was about the Franklin Expedition. Um, Wow. Charles, Charles Dickens just could not accept that uh, what was being learned at the time in the uh, 1860s, all the evidence showed that the men had turned to cannibalism, uh, but they'd never discovered the ships, just a few bones and strange artifacts left, and Dickens couldn't accept that. So he talked Wilkie into doing this play, which he, Dickens, collaborated on. So the Frozen North was even performed before the Queen, and it was quite quite the hit. Now, um, at did you once you got past the the biography stage uh, of research? Did you go? Did you actually travel to to London? I should have, uh, and I considered it, but I did not. I same thing happened to me when I wrote about Hemingway in 1942, Cuba. I so disappeared into the resources and the maps and the writings and the pictures of the day that it became rather irrelevant to me. Well, well, tell me about some of the resources that you found, and, and what Dickens scholars. Um, what, what I guess interests me is that um, uh, your readers have a real opportunity here to to read a, a, a wonderful Dan Simmons book. But those of us who want, we also, uh, I certainly look forward to the chance to reread uh, Charles Dickens and actually for the first time read Wilkie Collins. So I'm kind of wondering what of those we should read, and maybe what Dickens scholars you found most interesting. Um, some of the um, 
some of his contemporaries at the time who wrote about Dickens, and it was it's almost like um, assistance to the president of the United States today. As soon as they leave the office, they you know it's just human nature. You scribble down every part of your conversation, and uh, many people who were close to Dickens tended to do that because, uh, again, a bit like uh, Ernest Hemingway and a few other people I've written about, Dickens was an overwhelming personality. He took over every room he was in. He could be very charming, but he was always the center of attention. And so some of the sources at the time, like George Dolby, who right at the end of Dickens's life, oversaw, was business manager for Dickens's amazing series of readings where he would, uh, uh, I think he would literally mesmerize up to 3,000, even 4,000 people in a hall. And Dolby set up the lighting and moved the seats so no one could be out of the range of Dickens's direct gaze. And Dolby himself and others at the time wrote some wonderful memoirs. And the Dickens scholarship, as you probably know, is is super extensive and very interesting. And the more recent we get, like Peter Ackroyd's 1990s biography, um, have a lot of revelations in them. Well, tell us some of those revelations and maybe how they played a, a part in inspiring your work. One of them that um, did urge me to write the book was the revelation that after the Staplehurst accident on 9 June 1865, Dickens did become unstable psychologically as well as physically. And yet he forced himself out on an unprecedented series of readings. He quit writing. The mutual friend that he was working on when uh, during the train accident, when he finished that, and he wrote The End, that was the last book he would ever write The End to. Uh, he had one great unfinished novel, which is central to the plot of My Drood, the mystery of Edwin Drood, and we'll see how that fits in. But in the meantime, he quit writing, and he went out doing these amazing readings uh, compulsively, in, and he wrote into those readings The Murder of Nancy by Bill Sykes, of course, from Oliver Twist, but he enhanced it in all sorts of bizarre, macabre ways, so that at some of his readings, they could have a dozen or more women faint, and the strongest men went out shaking and pale. It, we don't know exactly how he did it, but it was uh, a form of performance art that was unprecedented when he did it and has never been repeated since. So this weirdness between his disappearing into London at night, his obsession, he had a growing obsession with uh, mesmerism, with corpses, with the slums, with the underground London, literally the London beneath London, the catacombs, the crypts, the caverns and the sewers being built there. Uh, between all that and this insisting on going out to control audiences of several thousand people and horrify them with the murder of Nancy, uh, I thought it was worth looking into. Well, one of the things that, you know, in school we all read Dickens. We maybe read Great Expectations or Oliver Twist. And, and we have this impression of Dickens as a literary novelist, you know, and, and a Victorian serial novelist, but he really was a, a precursor to a lot of uh, genre fiction. He wrote certainly his most famous work, and arguably is a ghost story. Yes, and you mentioned that Wilkie Collins brought out The Moonstone in 1868, mm -hmm. and in college courses and literary discussions today, a lot of people say Wilkie Collins was the father of detective fiction. Uh, he had a he had a Sergeant Cuff character in the in The Moonstone, which some see as a precursor to Sherlock Holmes. But I think that Charles Dickens shares my view that the Moonstone is a hack job. It's sensationalist fiction, but it's not that good. So 
I believe, and in my novel I play with this idea, that Charles Dickens' last book, the one he was working on on the day he died, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, was an effort to show how a great mystery novel could be done with a detective in it. But he only, he only got half done when he died, and unlike all of his other books, he left almost no notes whatsoever on how it was to be finished. And you may know, a lot of, uh, a lot of fans of Dickens know, that hundreds of scholars and dozens of writers, including some of the best mystery writers, have tried to complete the mystery of Edwin Drood. They've come up with all sorts of clever solutions, none of which, at least to me, are satisfying. And I, so the mystery sort of died with, uh, the answer to the mystery died with Dickens. But I, in Drood, I look at it in a quite a different way of what he was trying to do, and so he will tell Wilkie Collins the direction he's going in the novel, if Dickens can be believed. Well, um, Dickens is is a is a real fun as a character. He's he you know he's he's popped up in all sorts of uh, interesting places. Uh, one of the best doc, recent of the re- recent Doctor Who's has uh, Charles Dickens encountering Doctor Who. I like that. <laughs> Um, could you tell me uh, now, your readers who are going to you know undertake reading your book? Um, give me an idea of what book, maybe the the biography we should read, and the Dick, two Dickens novels and the two Collins novels we should read in order to like be able to immerse ourselves most perfectly in your novel. You're a hard taskmaster. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'm really glad I never had you as a teacher. <laughs> well, I hope they can. I hope they can read my novel, Drood, without any such great preparation. I hope they can come at it a little bit as I did, which is as a reader who read a little bit of Dickens but had too many teachers trying to force Dickens down his gullet, so mm-hmm. resisted. Um, if they want to do some preparation, then any of the recent biographies uh, of Dickens, the more recent in some ways the better, simply because so many things have come out, by Peter Aykroyd, we're going back to the multi-volume Johnson biography of Dickens. Now, that would be a serious labor in preparation. Uh, you've mentioned the two novels for people who want to understand Wilkie Collins. Uh, the Moonstone, his classic, which mm-hmm. I think is junk, and The Woman in White, which will give you some background on the woman he was living with, uh, his lover at the time, whom he helped find a husband for. Wilkie was a very cynical, manipulative sort of fellow. So he went out and helped her find a husband, and was one of only three people at her wedding. And then that husband, two years later, disappeared, and she came back to his home. So somebody had to answer the question of where did that husband go? Why did he disappear? So I tried to do that. So anyway, the woman in white would be a good one. And as for Dickens, I think the most provocative preparation would be to read The Mystery of Edwin Drood, even though it just ends in mid-sentence halfway through, because this will give a lot of underpinning to what happens in my novel, Drood. And perhaps the other novel, I I would suggest Bleak House, because there is a character in Bleak House called Inspector Bucket, Mm -hmm. which which is based on the real former head of detectives of the Metropolitan Police in early Scotland Yard, Inspector Charles Frederick Field. And Inspector Field, Dickens' Inspector Bucket, uh, is a major character in my book, Drood, so that would give a whole different view of that character. 
Well, now that's really interesting. Now, one of the things about Dickens was, you know, he was a dedicated serial writer. And that's a, a very different form of writing from, you know, completing your novel, polishing it in the way we're accustomed to today. Could you tell me, uh, did you look at, at the serial installments and maybe um, did that kind of serialization play any part in the way you wrote the book? Yeah, actually, it did. that's a wonderful question. Because um, writing a serialized novel, and it was appearing at the time, uh, Dickens's books were appearing in his own uh, magazines that he put out, Household Words, and then all the year round. So he was his own editor and publisher. But it uh, that explains the length of the books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one told him to keep it short. He was he was the top selling author in England. He was the most famous novelist in the world. I mean, there really is nothing comparable right now. Even Stephen King wouldn't fit the Charles Dickens role because millions of people around the world love King, but he's not considered, King is not considered the exemplar of American life. And Charles Dickens was really considered the template, the model of how to be a happy British family, even as he's throwing his wife out of the house and so forth. But this serialization, uh, it must have just killed everybody who tried to do it. And I think in a great sense it did almost kill Charles Dickens. The monthly uh, quota of words, he was always up to it. But at one point he admits in a letter he wrote that one month he hadn't yet started on that monthly installment, however many thousands of words that was, and he stopped in somewhere and someone was demanding the next issue of Household Words with the next installment of Bleak House. And it struck him as he stood there that he hadn't yet begun it. What if he didn't finish it by, you know, in two weeks? And I think that amount of deadline pressure on any author, um, it's just deadly. I think, it, I think it harms anyone. He seemed to thrive on it, but at the same time, it was, he got kidney ailments. He started having slight strokes. He started dragging his left leg. Words started reversing for him, so it was wearing him down. Um, did he, when he was doing the, in, this in serial fashion, did he know where he was going to go with the novels? I mean, did he have an outline before he started? Yes, he he took these blue sheets of manuscript copy paper and um, in those days to make a fair copy on, and he would fold them a certain way. And on one side, he would write themes, and on the other side, he would write notes for future chapters and so forth. So he did make a nice outline. It's just that Dickens is one of the great organic writers. Uh, We probably, anyone who's read him knows that, that suddenly he'll bring in a minor character, uh, Mr. Macabre, say, who's based on his father in David Copperfield. And that minor character just takes on a life of his own and then began, begins demanding extra chapters of his own. Or in uh, another advantage to writing a serial is in Martin Chuzzlewit. Uh, the sales were going down. People just weren't interested in the story. So Dickens, who had just had a tour, his 1842 tour in the United States, suddenly, for no purpose and not part of his outline, had Martin Chuzzlewit head off to the United States. And sales picked up. So you can always have mid-course corrections when you're doing serial writing. Now, um, this, you've had uh, a lot of books optioned for movies, and we've never had quite the good fortune to have, uh, uh, <clears throat> other than uh, actually a, a pretty good uh, God. What was the What was the series that did the the Barber story? <laughs> I'm trying to remember now because that was a pretty good adaptation. Oh, thank you. I showed it um, this summer. We had uh, backyard outdoor movies for the neighborhood. The Simmons summer cinema series, Under the Stars. 
and I actually showed one of those. It was a Monsters episode. Oh, Lowest right, right. budget syndicated series in history. <laughs> Um, now you've had a. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about various uh, novels of yours being um, optioned, and and this one has as well, hasn't it? Uh, yes, Drude is uh, is in the process of being optioned right now. It's been agreed on, and they're finishing the language, and that's because the director Guillermo del Toro read the, this huge novel, 992 pages in manuscript, and he read it in manuscript and went to Universal and said, "When I'm finished with the two Hobbit movies that I'm." contracted to do, I'd like to do this, Drude. He also offered, uh, this has never happened to me before, the director, Del Toro, asked me, would you like a blurb on Drude? And I said, sure, why not? Wow. Well, that's incredible. Well, uh, we'll look forward to that, and we'll all look forward to uh, reading this book. And, and while I, I have to, to say that, while I certainly agree with you that Anybody can sit down and read this book. It's really, I really appreciate you giving us this thing because the, these hints about who to read, the books to read before before we read this book. Because I mean, for me, a, an opportunity to read reread Charles Dickens, you know, with a with a a, a per, fun with a purpose. <laughs> so. Well, Rick, I think you're my ideal reader, and those readers who, in my Hyperion novels, went off to read John Keats, and in my. Um, uh, novel about Hemingway. They ended up reading six Hemingway novels. As a former teacher, it just makes me very happy to hear that sort of thing. We've been speaking with Dan Simmons. His forthcoming novel is Drood. It comes out in February, is it? Yes, February 1st, 2009. We'll be looking forward to that, and we'll be speaking with you then. Thank you for joining me, Dan. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.